0: by their baptism that they are following Jesus Christ and so we're looking forward to that Um, and uh, I want to share with you today from Romans chapter 5 so we're going to be reading uh, a key section in Romans chapter 5 and a little bit in chapter 6 and I'd like to speak to you today about justification so uh, Just by way of opening, I I want to say that the most critical question in your life, more important than anything else, is are you justified? And what I mean by that is, have you been cleared of the guilt of all the sins that you've committed your whole life? You know... It's just a fact, we are all sinners, and we all commit sin. Some of us, as we sit here today, have been justified, praise God, and some of us today are likely still condemned already, because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, that's what the Bible says, you know... This book that we read from is God's holy word. It's going to exist beyond time into eternity. And the Bible says that in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we all must appear before God. And on that day, we will give account for the things which are done in the body whether they be good or bad. And the scripture further says in Revelation chapter 20 that the dead, small and great, significant and insignificant in earth, will all stand before God. And the books will be opened. And on that day, men will be judged by the things that are written in this book. And on that day, you will either be justified freely or condemned forever. That's a very, very serious thought. And so the reason that we come together in church and open the scriptures is to give the hope of the gospel that you may have come in here to this church today and you may have sins that you've committed your whole life and maybe only God knows all of them. But we have good news for you today. You can leave this church guaranteed, 100% sure, that you are justified freely by the grace of God. And you can have your sins forgiven. And that's what the Bible teaches. In Romans chapter 5, where we're going to read, it says very clearly that a person can be justified by believing in Jesus Christ, and can have peace with God. And that is the greatest thing that anyone could ever have. You know, I'm thankful today as I share the word with you that I can present to you a God who shows grace, undeserved kindness to every person that has ever lived in, in the simple offering. salvation that you can have your sins forgiven we've been doing a study on the book of Romans and when we look at the character of God it's very clear that in chapter 1 God is a God of wrath the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness a God of wrath and he will judge he will judge the world. And in chapter 2, we see that there's a God of righteousness. And he's going to judge righteously. There'll be no partiality. God will judge righteously. But when we get to chapter 3, we see there is a God who redeems sinners. Who sent his only begotten son to die on the cross so our sins could be forgiven. And there's an offer, okay? There's an offer on the table today for every single person to be justified freely by the grace of God through the redemption in Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus sent, that's why Jesus came, and that's why God sent him to die on the cross to shed his blood. And his blood is the payment price for our sin. And there's an offer of mercy today. Everyone who believes in him can have their sins forgiven. And on the day that you stand before God, you will be declared righteous, cleared of all the guilt, of all the sin that you have ever committed your whole life. And there's nothing better than to be absolutely assured of that today. I love those words that we just sang. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I want to talk to you today about being justified. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to read at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible... I got it right up here for you. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you drop down to verse 6, here's the reason why we have peace with God. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That simply means that Jesus Christ died on behalf of all the ungodly sinners. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good man, some would dare to die. But God shows or demonstrates his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for for us. And then it says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more. Now that we've been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, when we drop down to verse 12, we get that last section of this chapter that goes back into the reason why we need to be saved. And if you look at verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that was Adam, and death through sin, so death has spread to all men. In other words, the consequences of sin is death. And every single one of us are going to die apart from the Lord's return because we have a sinful nature and we've committed sin. And the end result of sin is death. That's what it says. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come, speaking of the Lord Jesus. Now, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God of that one man, Jesus Christ, it has abounded unto many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses has brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as by one trespass it led to condemnation of all men, so the one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's an amazing passage. Likely the core truth is, of the doctrine of the gospel of God. I want to speak to you today about a God who shows grace to undeserving sinners. The Bible makes this so abundantly clear. Salvation is not by works. It is by grace alone that we are saved through faith. There is nothing that you could ever do to earn salvation, and there is nothing that you could do after you're saved to keep your salvation. It is through grace alone. The doctrine of grace is simply God's unmerited favor that he bestows upon guilty sinners just because he's God. Do you know what's amazing? There's nothing in me What would ever cause God to love me? And there's nothing in you that you could ever have done to cause God to show you mercy and grace. God does it because He's God. And He is a God of mercy and grace. The character of God is laid out so clearly in this book of Romans. And we just spoke about it. You know, people will say, well, God is love. And he is love. 100% he's love. But he's also righteous. And his character is holy. And he must punish sin because it's an offense against his character. And if God was not righteous, and if God was not holy and just, and only love, he wouldn't be God. Because his character is even. And it is balanced. He's a God of righteousness. Now, the problem with this is you and I aren't righteous. And God is 100% righteous. And in order for us to dwell with God, our unrighteousness must be put away. And that's the truth of this passage. So God made a plan before the ages of time, before the creation of the world, God had a plan. He would send his one and only son into this world to die our death, to pay our sin, to hang on a cross, to shed his blood, and to rise again, and to offer salvation, redemption. That's God's plan of redemption. And when we get to Romans chapter 3, Those beautiful words. Just before this, it says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. And then it says being justified freely through his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God offers as a gift to all of those who believe in him. And as you sit here today, you are either justified freely by his grace or you are condemned already and guilty. And that is the most critical, critical question in your life. You know, this passage develops for us three things that are really important. Sin is inherent. It, it is absolutely within our entire nature from birth. You don't enter into sin, you know, when you become an adult and you start making bad choices. No, that's just evidence for the fact that you are already a sinner. And so this Bible and this passage that we're reading teaches so clearly that sin is inherent in our very nature from birth. I'm going to read a couple of verses to show you that. Secondly, this passage teaches that death, death, is the consequence for sin. And if we were to go to chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what about the law? We read in this passage that the law entered that the offense might abound. So, what does the law do? Well, first of all, it doesn't save you. It exposes our guilt before God. It shows us all of our shortcomings and our trespasses. It says, You shall not lie. And every time you lie, you overstep a boundary and you trespass God's law. It says, You shall not commit adultery. And Jesus explained that in Matthew chapter 7. Everyone who looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in his heart. We're all sinners. It says, you shall not take the Lord God's name in vain. It says, you shall not steal. It says, you should honor your father and your mother. It says, you should not covet. Every one of us have sinned against God. And the law just like shines the spotlight, magnifies our sin, shows us what we are. Every single one of us, inherently we know we are sinners. So what's the teaching of this passage? I've got three points. Teaching of this passage is the ruin of mankind. All mankind are ruined by sin it's not just a surface thing superficial it is inherent in our very nature this past week I just had a, a beautiful little baby grandbaby that was born and I picked her up and she's so precious and she's so beautiful and she looks so perfect And I looked into her eyes, and the thought struck me. This is a guilty little sinner. And years from now, it will become evident by the sins that she will commit that she has a sinful nature. There is a universal ruin of all mankind because of sin. And secondly, this passage teaches this great truth that righteousness is a gift, can't be earned, it's a gift that is offered by God in Jesus Christ. And our only hope to have our sin taken away is Jesus Christ. He's the only savior. He's the only one that can give us righteousness. And then finally, this passage teaches us that we all have a responsibility Okay, you cannot be neutral on this issue. You will either believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have your sins forgiven by his precious blood or you will reject him and your sin will be on your head and you will live your whole life in sin and you will die in your sins and you will go to hell. And you will be punished for your own sin. God doesn't want that. We don't want that. The Bible makes it clear that there's no one excluded. Christ has died for all mankind. And as a result, every single person can be justified. No matter how many sins you've committed, where you've been, what you've done, what you've said, how bad you've been there is an offer that whosoever will come and receive forgiveness, justification. It's just amazing truth. Okay, I want to speak to you today about the effects of sin on the human race. And then I want to speak to you about the effects of faith in Jesus Christ. So, as we dig into this passage... In Romans chapter 3 and 23, it says, All have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. But it goes a little bit further in this chapter, and not only is it talking about the acts of sin that we do, it's not talking about the fruit of sin, but it's talking about where sin came from. The root of sin. How did we get here? How is there such disaster in mankind, in this planet that we live in? Right here. You know, scientists, scholars, professors could learn a lot from this one verse if they looked at it openly and honestly. Romans 5 and 12. For as by one man sin, sin entered the world and death came as a result of sin and so death is passed upon all men for all have sinned and as a result we all commit sin so let me let me make this a little bit clearer you can't help but commit sin because it's in your nature it's it's in your very nature you can't help it it's just a result Of what we are and then it says that the guilt of all mankind and that that condemnation it leads to death we've already spoke about revelation 20 and 11 and Romans 6 and 23 but in this passage you have the doctrine of original sin sin came by one man's disobedience and you might say that's not my fault you know what? You're right. It's not your fault, but you're affected by it. And so even though, if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, and I'm sure that most of you already know this story, God made man breathe into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living soul, and he, he took a rib, and he made this beautiful woman, and he brought the woman to the man, and they were innocent before God. And God said, You have free will. You may eat of every tree in this garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not eat. In the day that you eat thereof, you will begin to surely die. And so what happened? Satan enters in, deceives Eve. Eve looks at the fruit. It looks good. She takes it, and she gives to her husband. Eve was deceived. Adam sinned willfully. He knew it was wrong. He disobeyed. And as a result, catastrophe entered the world. Every single person born after Adam and Eve, that's all of us, we're born separated from God in sin with a sinful nature. That is the doctrine of original sin. And I want you to read in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, this is an incredible passage that David wrote when he had sinned against God and committed adultery and murder in the sin of Bathsheba, and God convicted him of his sin, and this is what he wrote. If you look at Psalm 51 and verse 5, he said, Behold, I was shapened in iniquity, And in sin did my mother conceive me. God pointed something out to David. That he was a sinner even before he was born from conception. And so that seed of sin has been passed upon all men. And we've all inherited this. The consequences of sin is death. The reason that you will die is because sin destroys your body. And the cell structure of our body from the time that we're born actually begins to die and the habits that you do in your life and the sinful things that you commit actually wear down your body and eventually we breathe our last and we die our sinful habits affect us they really do and so that is the effect of sin on the human race we're all guilty we're all sinners but there's good news It's in this passage. The effects of faith in Jesus Christ. So, I inherited this sinful nature. That's the reason I'm a sinner. I've committed all of these sins, and the Bible says if we say that we have not sinned, we lie and we don't tell the truth because we have sinned. And you will keep committing sin as long as you're in this body, saved or unsaved, because of our sinful nature, there's sin. But here's the good news. You can have all your sins forgiven, and you can be justified. When a person has believing faith in Jesus Christ, it saves their soul. Now, we say that so quick, and we say that so easy. I want to I develop this for you. What is saving faith? What does it really mean to believe on Jesus? Let's go deep with this, because this passage develops it. It is a deep surrender of my heart to God. That's what God wants. Because right now, sin is on the throne. And I please myself. And I follow my passions. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Sons of disobedience. Walking according to the course of this world, we're by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who's rich in mercy, with his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, by grace you've been saved through faith. So what is saving faith? Now listen carefully. I believe there's a lot of people that think they're saved and they're not really saved. And the reason I say that is because I meet a lot of people on the street in our street ministry that are very flippant and lighthearted about saying that they're saved. Their life hasn't changed. Self is on the throne. Jesus Christ is not Lord of their life. And they are living a life that shows evidence that they're likely not saved. And so I want to look at what it truly means to have saving faith it's a deep surrender of my heart. You know what it is? It is submitting to God. It is a wholehearted trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It is a wholehearted trust, not in myself, not in my good works, not in my church going. It is my trust is in Jesus Christ alone. That is what saving faith is, is a deep hearted trust in the risen Jesus as my only Savior. And so the Bible describes something called repentance and faith. And I'm going to explain this repentance and faith. Have you ever been convicted of your sin? I have. If you've ever been convicted of your sin, you will know it. Because you will feel a sense of guilt before God. You will know that you are not right with God. And you will have a longing desire to have that filth of sin removed from your soul. Conviction of sin is real. And it comes when you hear the truth of God and you honestly examine your life against the standard of God's word and you say, I've sinned. Repentance and faith. First of all, it is an acknowledgement of my sin. That's what David said in Psalm 51. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you are righteous if you judge me. Have you ever been there with God? You ever been there with God when you look back over your life and you realize, God, I'm guilty. I, I, I've done some bad things. This is honest, true examination, and it brings the acknowledgement of sin. Secondly, there's an agreement with God. Okay, it's not natural for us to agree with God. You know what's natural? I'm not a bad person. I'm I'm better than him, and I'm better than her, and I haven't killed anyone, and I haven't committed adultery, and I'm I'm not that bad. Salvation comes when I see myself before God as God sees me. An acknowledgement of my sin. It is an agreement with God. It is an acceptance of God's free gift. A lot of us, when we get there, we're just saying, okay. Okay, now I've got to clean myself up. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop swearing. And I'm going to stop doing what I shouldn't do. And I'm going to now live a righteous life. That lasts for about 24 hours. Okay, if that. You know what the fact is? We can't clean ourselves up. We come to God just as we are. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Have you come to God open, honest, transparent, acknowledging your sin? God has a gift for you. I spoke about this last time. Remember the the, the story of the prodigal son? When he wandered so far away from God and he lived his life of pleasure and spent all and was absolutely empty. He said, I will arise and go to my father. And he runs to his father and his father runs to him. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I am no more worthy to be called your son. And what does that father do? Throws his arms around him. Welcomes him home gives him a robe. What is that robe? It's righteousness. Okay, listen. If you're sitting here today and you have honestly acknowledged your sin to God and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior as a free gift, he's clothed you with a robe of righteousness. And he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ. The one man who was obedient and died the death of the cross and has given to you by his free gift righteousness. It is an acceptance of God's gift. How do I know that I'm saved? Guys, I struggled with this a lot. I want to know for sure. I got down on my knees and I cried out to God to save me. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and that he died on the cross for me and I trusted him with my whole heart and then I'm wondering am I really saved and I called out to God and he showed me this verse 1 John 5 and 13 these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know Warren talked about that this morning at the Lord's Supper that you may know That you have eternal life every person that's saved when they come to God and accept that free gift they have the assurance from the word of God that they are saved and there's nothing like it the effects of faith in Jesus Christ number one you will have peace with God that is a critical component of your life When you believe on Jesus Christ and you're justified, you'll have peace with God. Number two, you'll be justified by his blood, the payment price for sin. Number three, you have a relationship that is reconciled. You no longer are an enemy of God by wicked works. You are reconciled. You are brought back and you are in this relationship with God, reconciled by the death of his son. And you have the gift of righteousness. I want to tell you that faith in Jesus Christ is a real thing. It'll change your life. It'll change your desires. It'll change your habits. It will make you want to follow God. You still may sin. You will make mistakes and you will trip up. But you are secure in Christ Jesus because his precious blood has paid for your sin. And you have that relationship. And so right now we are going to talk a little bit about baptism. Because we are going to see two young ladies that are going to publicly display by their baptism that they are following Jesus Christ. And if we read in Romans 6 and verse 1, it says this. I want to read this to you because I think this is important. Romans 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall they that are dead to sin live any longer in it? Know you not that as many of you who were baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, And as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so we're going to see two young ladies here go down under the water and come back up again. And it's going to be symbolic. Okay? Baptism was commissioned by the Lord. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he said, I am with you always. Baptism was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't make this up. It's not our church dogma. This came from the Lord Jesus Christ, commissioned by the Lord, commanded by the scriptures. You know that if you're sitting here today and you are genuinely saved and you're not baptized, you should be baptized. Because all they that received his word when Peter preached were baptized. And so when you read through the book of the Acts of the early church, baptism was celebrated It was actually demonstrated for us in Acts chapter 8 because there's a lot of confusion about baptism. How does this work? And Philip the evangelist, he's there in the chariot and he's speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch and he says, do you believe with all your heart? Yes, I believe with all my heart. He said, well, here's some water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And they get down off the chariot and they go into the water. And Philip baptized the eunuch. And he came up and he went on his way rejoicing. There is a rejoicing knowing that you are obedient and following Jesus Christ. And our sisters today are going to experience the joy of obedience in baptism. Okay, so this is not infant baptism, this is believer's baptism. In fact, I don't read anywhere in the Bible about infant baptism. The baptism that we're speaking about is believer's baptism. It's not a baptism of repentance, like John the Baptist preached. It doesn't wash away your sin. There's nothing mysterious or miraculous. There's no special virtue. This is not holy water. It's regular water and it's probably cold. (laughs) And there's no miraculous healing of this or virtue that's going to take sin away. No, this is symbolic. And so as our sisters go down in here, they are symbolizing this, a public declaration for everyone here to see that they are following Jesus Christ. They are following Jesus Christ. They are denouncing their old life of sin and they're making a commitment to live for Jesus Christ. They're dedicating the rest of their life to new life in Jesus Christ. So what you'll see is you'll see them actually go down and they'll go right under the water. And that symbolizes death and burial. And then well, I'm not going to hold them under the water. They're going to come back up. And it's going to symbolize rising with Jesus Christ. And so that's what we read in Romans chapter 6. Those who are baptized into Jesus Christ are baptized into his death. And they are really saying, when Jesus died on that cross, not only did he die for me, but I died with him. And like Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, Who will come after me? Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. And so this rising out of that water is symbolizing that we are now in new life with God, and we are following Jesus Christ, risen to walk in newness of life. And so we're excited. We're going to close in prayer, and there's going to be a baptism here, and I think we're going to do some singing. So let's just bow our heads, and we'll speak to God in prayer. Father, we thank you today for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact that we can be justified freely by believing in him. I just pray that you would bless our two sisters and those that perform the baptism, that, Lord, you would help them for the rest of their life to live out their commitment to God. Give them the joy of the Lord in their soul. And as they obey the Lord in baptism, and everyone here witnesses, may we all go away from this place rejoicing. And Lord, I just think of all of us who have been baptized for many, many years, it will bring us back in our thoughts and our hearts to the time that we dedicated the rest of our life to following Jesus Christ. And so I just pray that you would help us all to have renewed commitment to love God and to serve God and to follow you. And so we commit this to you and ask your blessing As we give thanks in Jesus' name, amen.